So happy Father's Day, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Uh, that, was a, that was a nice, that was nice, right? Let me ask you a question. In the video, who did you notice the most? Yourself, right? When your picture came on, you were like, oh yeah, there I am. There I am, right? Don't we all do, all do that? Well, since I'm the one speaking, the one that I noticed was of me and my dad, right? Boy, I looked skinny. Wow. Huh? And hair. Yeah, I had a, I had a flat top back then. And uh, one day, one day, I'm going to be that skinny again. Yes. Not, not anytime soon. But someday. Someday. Maybe, possibly, probably not. Right? I think I weighed 140 pounds when I graduated from high school. And that was whenever I was 18 years old. And on that day, that was the day that we were going to the courthouse for my, that was my stepdad, for him to adopt me. And so that was a real special day right there. So anyway, I hope that that brought you some, some like smiles and some good memories and things like that. So anyway, I want to start off by talking a little bit about last week. Last week, we kind of set the stage for today. And I am super excited about today, but last week we started this series called Elijah, and it's where Elijah burst onto the scene. He was, uh, we had not heard of him before, he wasn't in scripture before, and he busts onto the scene and he challenges the king of Israel. And he tells the king of Israel that it's not going to rain for three years. And then God told him to go hide. And he was going to take care of him. And remember, he was going to take care of him where? There, that's right. Where God told him he was going to take care of him, there. And so he told him to go to the Kareth Ravine, and he was going to uh, let him drink water out of there, and the ravens were going to feed him. And then when the, when the ravine dried up, because there was no rain, right? And whenever the ravine dried up, he told him to go to a widow in another little town, and the widow was going to take care of him. The widow had this little bit of oil and a little bit of flour that it never, ever ran dry, right? God took care of his man where he sent him. Well, it's been three years, three years of no rain. Do you think that those three years were hard yeah, three years of no rain. That means that there was, a, there was a major drought, which means no crops. Crops don't grow without water. And so, do you think that Elijah is, uh, like, he's just, like, living it up? He's in hiding because he is being hunted. The king wants to kill this guy. The king is tired of this. Three years go by. Three years. Imagine what can happen in three years. Life gets difficult. You don't know where your next meal is going to come from. Everybody seems to be doing something. And you have to learn how to survive. And, and Elijah has that skill to survive because God had been providing for him. You know, anybody ever watch the, the show Survivor? I would be the first voted off. 
I got no survival skills, right? If I can't, like, if, if Amy's not going to make it or we, I can't go buy it, I'm just going to wither up and die, right? I got no survival skills. That's just not who I am. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an American through and through, <laughs> and I've got no survival skills. Well, Elijah had to learn how to survive, and he did for three years. And then, now, we've set the stage for what's going to happen in the next chapter. So in 1 Kings chapter 18, um, we're, we're, we're going to talk about what happens this. But Elijah was a prophet, and he made a grand entrance three years ago and before uh, and had a simple and unpopular message. Simple, it's not going to rain. Pay attention, king, it's not going to rain until I say so. That wasn't popular, but it was simple. Whoops. And he said it would not rain until he said so. This was a direct affront. It was a direct affront to the followers of Baal because they believed that Baal was the one who controlled all of that because uh, that was their God and he was in control of the weather. And he delivered this message and disappeared for three years. And now we have our setup. Here we go. First Kings chapter 18. Later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Okay, stop. <laughs> Who's trying to get him? King Ahab. Do you think that whenever Elijah, do you, imagine being Elijah and God saying, hey, time's up. Go present yourself to King Ahab. Do you think, do you think it's possible that Elijah was like, mm, he's trying to kill me. You want me to just walk up to him? I, I hmm, this is difficult, God. God ever tell you to do anything difficult? Where you were like, uh, <laughs> I don't know about all of this, right? And he said, tell him that I, who? Who's, who's talking? God is talking. And he said that I will send rain. Well, that's good news, right? He gets to go tell King Ahab the drought is finally going to come to an end. It's going to be over. Praise God, praise God, glory, hallelujah. Let's do this. Let's do a rain dance or something, right? So Elijah, he went to appear before Ahab. He just did what God told him to do. You see a pattern in Elijah's life so far? that he just seems to be doing what God told him to do step by step by step. Maybe we should learn something from that. Just a thought. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. Of course it had, because there had no rain. When Ahab saw him, here he comes, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Is it really you? I've been looking for you. Is it really you? Because three years have gone by, I haven't seen your face, and you look a little different. You know, the, since, there has, since there's been a drought, you look a little different in three years. Look, it's been about three weeks since I started this little competition between me and Carrie, and I've lost 10 pounds, and so has he. In three years, with no drought, with a drought, how much do you think he changed? He probably looks a little different, right? And he's like, is it really you? Because I've been hunting for you. 
and you're going to come right up here and present yourself to me, you're a troublemaker. Watch, 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 watch this. I have made no trouble for Israel. I didn't do this, King Ahab. This isn't my fault. See, I am just a prophet. And if you have the gift of prophet, if you're a prophet, typically you didn't have a very good message to send. Like God used these prophets and like they would be like, oh no, here comes the prophet. Run! <laughs> right? Nobody wanted to hear what the prophet had to say or what a prophet had to say. He said, you and your family, you and your family are the troublemakers. You caused all of this. Well, how did, how did they cause all of this? Anybody remember back from last week? Who did they worship? Baal, not the God of Israel. They caused all of this. And what it said was King Ahab, he, he took this like idolatry a lot further than any other king before him. And he was married to this lovely woman named Jezebel. And she wasn't too nice. And so he kind of did what she said to do. How many fathers out there, you know what I'm saying, right? You kind of do what you're told. So, so did he. And he said, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. See, you caused this. I'm not the troublemaker. You caused this. You just didn't like the message I gave. <laughs> so that makes me the troublemaker? I don't think so. You caused this. Now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel. You go get all the people of Israel, and you go, get, you go get all the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, and all the 400 prophets of Asherah, which was a, uh, he was just, she, I mean, she, that, that God was right below uh, Baal, who are, who are supported by Jezebel. Go get them all. Gather them and meet me at Mount Carmel. And don't waste any time. Go get them. I'm ready. <laughs> the odds, not so good for him, right? Not so good. The odds are, are stacked against Elijah. It's him, one, versus everyone. One versus everyone. I have a question for you. <laughs> you ever feel like that? where it's you versus the world. Like you're standing there, you're trying to live God's way, but the, the, the odds seem stacked against you. You ever feel like that? Man, I feel like that. I feel like that. I feel like that sometimes at my house. One against everyone. How about when popular opinion doesn't fit with what you say? You feel like it's one against everyone? When you're trying to say Christianity looks like this, this is what God's Word says, and it seems like everyone you talk to, everyone that's around you, completely thinks different, 
because they've been taught different? Anybody other than me been there? One against everyone. And is it difficult? Is it hard to stand your ground? Absolutely it is. It is probably one of the most difficult things I can think of. But let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. It's not really just one against everyone. It never is when you have God on your side. (laughs) It's you and Him. It's us. So stand your ground. Stand your ground. But you have to be willing. Are you willing to stand alone? Are you willing to go against popular belief? Are you willing to say, you know what? I know, I know that the world says that uh, abortion is okay. I know that the world says that. I know that they teach our children that. You know, it's their choice. It's women's rights. Are you willing to stand alone and say, absolutely not? Not today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, not ever. Life is sacred. And somebody has to speak up for the unborn. I'll do that. Are you willing to stand up and be alone? Are you willing to stand up when popular opinion says that just sex with anybody is okay? Because it's just sex. It's not, it's not, you know, friends with benefits. Are you willing to stand alone and say, no? You see, God, God says different. God says that we should keep that sacred. And that should be between a man and a woman in the confines of marriage. Are you willing to stand alone? No matter what popular opinion says, I am. I'm willing to stand on that hill and die. Are you willing to stand alone no matter what the world says. Because let me, let, let, me, let me just, I'm, I'm going to take a little time out. When we have, everybody has opinions, right? Everybody has opinions. They're kind of like underarms or something else, and they all stink. <laughs> I have opinions. Ask, my, ask Janiah, she'll tell you. I've got opinions. And I don't mind sharing them with, with her or with my kids. I really try to keep my opinions to myself unless someone asks me for my opinion. But then I try to warn them. I say, are you sure that you really want my opinion? <laughs> if not, I'm okay. I'll keep it to myself. But if our opinions... Do not match up. 
with this book. They don't match up with this. They're wrong. It's an opinion. And an opinion can be wrong. And so what do we do as Christians? Man, I had a lot of stinking thinking before I got saved. Right? I was 26 years old. I had lived 26 years of my life the world's way. Well, that's a lot of learning that happens in that time, right? And I had a lot of stinking thinking. And whenever my opinions didn't match up with this book, is this book wrong ever? Absolutely not. This is God's word. This is the truth. And the truth will set you free. And so when you have an opinion that doesn't match up with this book, your opinion is wrong. So change it. Change your opinion. Don't go with what the world says. The world is wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) And so just change it. Elijah was willing to stand alone. It was him versus 850 other prophets that's saying that Baal worship is the right way to go. And he's like, no, the God of Israel isn't Baal. Are you willing to stand alone? Oh, man, that's, a, that's, that's, that's the question of the day. Are you willing to stand alone like Elijah and be like, you know what? I may die today, but dadgummit, meet me at Mount Carmel. We having a showdown because I'm done with this, right? And you're going to have to decide. And so here's what happened. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them. He was pretty bold. He stood in front of them and said, how much longer are you going to waver between two opinions? Good grief, Israel. How long? How long are you going to waver between two opinions? We got the God of Israel and we got Baal. Listen, today we are all going to make a decision. Is the God of Israel God or is Baal God? And we're going we're to have this, this showdown and whichever one wins, we're going to worship. That's, that's the lowdown. He says, uh, how much longer are you going to waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if, God, if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people, but the people were completely silent. <laughs> of course they were. Of course they were. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. So here's the fork. The fork in the road. You ever been in a fork? Where God was kind of like, It's either this way or this way. You're going to have to decide. Here's the fork. How much longer are you going to waver hobbling between two opinions? That's that's the fork in the road. The people of Israel were a people of divided loyalty. (laughs) Hello, Christians of the 20th century. How much longer are we going to waver between two opinions? 
on one hand, they had enjoyed their name as God's people, but on the other hand, they loved the sensual, fleshly appeal of Baal. They were torn between two ideas, and as a result, they were accomplishing nothing. Nothing. This is the way of compromise, my friends. When you are wavering between two opinions, you can't accomplish anything. It's the way of compromise, and God doesn't let you compromise. It's either his way or the other way. So Baal and his consort Ashtaroth was worshipped through such abominable practices as human sacrifice and sexual immorality. Well, people, people liked that, right? People liked that. It, was, it, they, it allowed them to uh, feed that fleshy desire. Um, hello? Don't we like that? We like things that appeal to our fleshly desires. You know why? Because we have this little thing called sin, sin nature, and it draws us. It's like when you're on a diet and you see like stuff in the back back there that you know you shouldn't eat because it's got all that sugar and fat and stuff, like a donut with all that goodness stuff on it, right? And it's, it's calling your name, Chad, Chad. Come eat me. And you're like, oh, I so want to. I so want to go back there and grab that one with the, with the little sprinkles, right? Because it's extra goodness. It's ex- he, little Mac ate it. Thanks, Little Mac. I appreciate that, right? It's calling me, right? Things like this call us. And we tend, we tend to drift. We tend to, you know, if I, you know, you know, one of the th- I was a youth pastor for such a long time, like a long time. And the thing that, that, that as the youth pastor, you, you, teens want to know how, like if this line right here represents sin, and it's red, I like it. So if this line represents sin, teens, but not just teens, I've found out since I've become a lead pastor, People want to know how close they can get to this line without crossing it. That's the wrong question. How close can we get? How close can we get? How about this? Instead of asking questions like, how close can we get to the line without stepping over? How about we ask a question, how close can we get to God? That's a much better question. And it keeps us way away from this stupid line. But you know, this line calls us, and it has from the time that time began with Adam and Eve. They had one tree that they couldn't, well, two trees, that they couldn't go to. Two. And they were naked. They couldn't find something else to do other than go to the stupid tree. What the world? (laughs) and God's command to go fill the earth? Hey, listen, Adam and Eve, you got things to do. But no, no, the tree just calls her name. It's like the donut. It's like any sin. It just calls our name, and we tend to drift to them. And so 
the people of Israel were wavering between two opinions. One, because it appealed to their fleshly appetite. We do the same. We do the same. In some places, women were forced to serve as prostitutes in the groves. How long are we going to waver between two opinions? Can we be honest? Can we, can, we, can, we, can we be honest and say that the same is true for the church at large today? We waver. We waver. Whether we like to admit it or not, the visible church is in the midst of waywardness. We compromise. We compromise. Why do we compromise? Man, it's so frustrating when we compromise. When we compromise the truth of Scripture so that we can appeal to the world. It's so frustrating. And I think God gets frustrated with us too. And he's like, how long are you going to waver? <laughs> What's the appeal? We have compromised God's word and we are accomplishing nothing. We've got to get back to the tenets of Scripture and not compromise the truth for anything else anything else. God wants all of you. He wants all of you. Like every single inch of your body. He wants your mind. He wants your heart. He wants your hands. He wants your feet. He wants your, he wants every part of you. Not part of you. All or nothing. All or nothing. He doesn't want you straddling the fence. He doesn't want you to say, hey, and most of y'all know my, my testimony when I got saved, I had friends who lived like little hellions on Monday through Saturday, and then Sunday they come in, oh, Jesus loves me. Ah, uh, yeah, right? And so I got to a fork in the road, and God said, what are you going to do? Are you going to follow the way of these people who call themselves Christians, or are you going to be a Christian? Are you going to follow me? All of it. Not part of it. Guess which side I chose? Got rid of them, friends. They weren't, they weren't lifting me up. They were tearing me down. And by golly, it's, it was my choice to follow in their little footsteps so I have to make a choice. I have to make a decision. Which way am I going to go? So do you. Which way are you going to go when the fort comes? You, God doesn't want you straddling the fence. James 4.4 4 puts it like this. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have both. You can't have God's way, and you can't have the world's way and just mix them. It doesn't work like that. You have to decide, is it God's way or is it the world's way? Otherwise, you're an adulterous people. You're committing adultery against God. 
It hurts a little bit, doesn't it? It hurts. <laughs> so I want you to decide today which way are you going to do? Which way are you going to go? You're going to go the world's way or you're going to go God's way? You know why I want you to decide today? Because God wants you to decide today. Which way? You decide. And Elijah was making the people of Israel make a choice. But do you remember what their response was? Silence. Exactly right. Silence. Silence. Why is that? How come when people are confronted with the things that they do, oftentimes their mouth goes shut? Why is that? I think I do that. I don't like to be confronted, do you? When you mess up? How many of you have children? Okay. Your children are real, real good at pointing things out, aren't they? <laughs> I know mine are. Janiah busted me yesterday. I don't remember what it at the moment. I don't remember what it was about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone was... Someone kind of cut us off, and Janiah was kind of like, who does he think he is? And I was like, you know, this is a test. God, well, not really testing, but God is working on our patience, right? So I told her that. God is working on our patience. And then something happened later on in that day, right? Something happened, and I'm like, and she was like, um, remember, God is working on our patience. I'm like, shut up, Janiah. <laughs> right? But kids are real good at pointing stuff out, right? And a lot of times we, we, we just can't say anything. We're, we're, we're busted. We're busted. And she was right. She wasn't wrong. She was right. And so you're just like, oh, man. Well, the response was silence. And, and here's a lot of times, here's what it really happens. A lot of times people think that si- if I'm just silent, and I don't face it, and I don't confront it, it'll just go away. It'll just disappear, right? It'll just disappear. And that's so, so doesn't happen. (laughs) It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen here. It doesn't happen there. It doesn't happen anywhere, right? Silence is not the answer. A lot has changed since since the time of Elijah, but a lot of things are still the same. Our culture has changed. The world has changed. Religious practices have changed, but this hasn't changed. When people are confronted with the truth, a lot of times they become silent because it's difficult, but it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. If a man is going to be right, or if a person is going to be right with God, they must, they must, They must take a stand apart from the world. It cannot be both. They must take a stand apart from the world. It is either God or the world. And silence doesn't change that ever. So just because someone is silent, It doesn't mean that, that that conundrum has gone away. Whenever we're silent, 
it doesn't make that problem go away either. So, it goes on. He said, then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet, me, one against all of you, of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. He's going to set out the rules right here. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar. Right here. Right here. They can cut it up, put it on their altar, but without setting fire. So the little fire thing, not yet. Not yet. I... I will prepare the other bull. So, all right, you guys, here's two bulls. You choose whichever one you want. One isn't better than the other. They're the same. You do your thing, and then I'm going to do my thing. And I will lay it on the wood of the altar, but I won't set fire to mine either. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people, what? Agreed. They said, deal. This sounds like no problem for Baal. (laughs) He's the one who controls all this, remember? No problem. They're like, deal. And then whoever wins... That's the God we're all going to worship. And they all agreed to the terms. All agreed to the terms. So the terms, the challenge has been given and the terms of the agreement have been accepted. It is interesting. It is so interesting that they had the audacity, they had the audacity to expect God to prove himself to them. Let me remind you a little bit about what God had done in their midst. He had parted the Red Sea, and they got to experience that. They walked on dry land. Yeah. And then after they got past, God brought the seas back together and destroyed their enemies. They saw God write with his finger on a tablet that Moses brought down from the mountain. They got to experience that. They have got to experience so much of God's goodness and they have the audacity to ask him to prove himself How much more does God have to do for you to believe? Israel, good grief. It is amazing. You people are amazing. Like when you read the Old Testament, do you ever go, like, do you ever scratch your head about how Israel reacts to God and how they just treat him? (laughs) You know what I do? I scratch my head about how we still do it. Today, we have the audacity to make him prove himself to us too. What the heck? Am I allowed to say that in church? Okay, thanks. At my old church, I wouldn't be able to say that. 
but thank you for this church, I can say things like that. Because, man, oh man, how much more does God have to do for us to fully engage with Him? It's just amazing to me. But it goes on. He says, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first. I'm going to even let you go first. You pick the bull first. You go first. I want to see this Baal worship. I want to see it in action. I want to see the fire from heaven come down and destroy and get this bull and burn it all up. You go first. (laughs) For there are many of you, surely with the 450 of you plus the other 400, surely y'all can get y'all's God to answer you, right? It's, you got a lot. <coughs> Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God. But do not set fire to it. That, remember the terms. Remember the terms. So they prepared one of the bulls and they placed it on the altar and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. Everybody. Read this next little phrase with me. Ready? One, two, three. But there was no reply. There was no reply. Baal didn't answer. Baal didn't answer of any kind. And then they danced and they hobbled around on the altar they had made. They were like, oh, Baal, come answer us. Send the fire down. I want to see this happen. Oh, Baal. And they did this from morning until noontime. You know, they're tired, right? They're tired. But, but Elijah, I love Elijah. Oh, this, is my, this might be one of my favorite scenes of all Scripture. 450 prophets plus the other 400. So 850 prophets. They're dancing and they're hobbling around the altar and they're shouting to Baal. And here's Elijah over here. Look, he's just watching this, right? He's watching. And here's his response. He says, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. I love this. This is so good. He's like, hey, 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 you, you must not be doing something, right? I mean, how come Baal hasn't answered you yet? You've been doing this for hours. How much longer do you need? Good grief. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you need to shout louder. He can't hear you. You know, he's getting old. He can't hear you. He's getting hard of hearing. Or, or, or maybe, maybe he's, he's using the bathroom. I love it. I love it, right? He says, or relieving himself. Maybe he's, he's relieving himself. Well, it, do you, it, it, I won't get too technical about what that means but he's doing the deuce, okay? So he says, hey, hey, surely he's a God, but he can't hear you. Or maybe he's just in the bathroom. Or maybe he's asleep and he needs to be awakened and you need to shout louder. You're not loud enough. And he just mocks them and mocks them and mocks them. I love this response. I love it. I love it. So they shouted louder. They shouted louder, and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of evening sacrifice. But read, everybody read this with me. But still, there was no sound, no reply, no, <laughs> nothing. Of course there was nothing. You know why? Baal is made up. Baal's not a god. There's no such thing. So of course there's no response. 
So and Elijah knows this. So he's mocking them. How funny is that? Like, if, if you don't laugh during this scene, then, then you, you need a new personality. Like, y'all need to learn to laugh. It's okay to laugh. You know? Like, God is funny sometimes, and this is funny. Like, it's okay. Just learn. <laughs> so then Elijah called the people. So their altar was there. He got tired of this, mocking them. That got old. He was like, all right, everyone, come over here. Come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar. He fixed it back up. Took the bull off, put his bull on. He repaired it. He took 12 stones. You know why he did that? There were 12 tribes of Israel. And he wants the people to remember 12 tribes. He put 12 stones. One to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then... Then he got to work, he got a shovel, and he started digging, and he dug this trench around the altar large enough to hold three gallons, three gallons of what? Water, which you'll see in just a minute. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. May I remind you, three-year drought. It still has not rained yet. Water is an amazing commodity right now. And he's asking them to fill these jars and pour it over the altar Now, can I ask you a question? Why would you put water over something that is supposed to set fire? You wouldn't do that beforehand. You use water to put the fire out, right? But he's asking asking them to put water on it. This is an amazing thing of faith, of faith. That God is the God of Israel. He's still our God. Do we have that same kind of faith? Where we would be willing to put the water over it and expect God to do something like that? That's an amazing, um, like he's being really bold. But he didn't stop at just one time. (laughs) After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. Do it again. The same four jars. Do it again. It's not wet enough yet. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. Now, you know, they're starting to think, man, all this water? They got to be going, they got to be thinking something. So they did as he said. And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench he had dug. At the usual time, at the usual time for offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah walked up to the altar here he is, and prayed. What did he do? 
prayed. Why would he pray? Because that's how you get God's response. By prayer. Prayer is a powerful thing. The prayer of a righteous man will accomplish much because God responds to the prayers of His people. So He prays. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that You are God in Israel and that I am Your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at Your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself immediately. Immediately. Not like he had to dance around the altar. Not there was no response. Immediately. Fire. Fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven. I asked asked Kirk if he could make fire fall down to this little altar right here. He didn't make it happen. I don't understand, but... You know, he, and he's a fireman. He could have put it out. So anyway, the, the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and even licked up the water in the trench. He, he sucked it all up, right? <laughs> the faith of Elijah in this, this little episode is absolutely amazing, but I want you to remember, he had already seen God do the miraculous. You remember? You remember he had seen God do the miraculous? No rain? Miraculous. No food supply? But instead, God was going to provide food from ravens, dirty bird, and he was going to drink of the brook, and then he was going to go to the widow? Already seen the miraculous. Not only that, but he saw a little boy be raised from the dead. The widow's son died. He laid on top of him three times and prayed, and that boy got up. He had already seen the miraculous. (laughs) He was willing to put his life on the line because he believed that he served a God who moves in response to, the, to his people's prayers. He was willing. Because what would have happened if there was no response? What would have happened if Baal, whenever they were doing their thing, what, do you, what would happen to Elijah? They'd have killed him. He was willing to put his life on the line for this. <laughs> How about your faith? We need the same faith today. If we're, we're going to take our stand with the Lord and do what He leads us to do, we've got to have faith. We've got to have faith. We've got to believe that Jesus is who He says He is. No matter what the world tells us. No matter what Oprah says. No matter what. We've got to have faith that Jesus is who He says He is. But let me ask you a question. Do you need to see miracles for God to do this? For you to have faith in God like Elijah had? Do you need to see miracles like he had seen? Some of us might. Some of us might need to see it. Well, the greatest miracle of all 
is the fact that Jesus Christ responds to our cry of faith to save our souls. That's the greatest miracle of all time. And so if you need to see a miracle, you are looking at one. (laughs) I was headed straight to hell. Quick. I almost died when I was in college. I fell asleep on Highway 1 while I was driving. Y'all know what Highway 1 is in California? It goes from San Francisco up to L.A. or L.A. to up to San... I don't know which one. I can't remember. Bad at geography. Who cares? It connects San Francisco and L.A. And it's on the side of a mountain. And I was driving along and it was real late. And I was just looking for a place to stay and there was nowhere. Next thing you know, going about 70, I was completely asleep. If I would have went to the left, that's the cliff side, we would have went straight down and probably blown up and died and off to hell I go. But I didn't. We went to the right. That's the mountainside. Next thing I know, but I didn't hit anything. Nothing. It just woke me up. Scared the bejesus out of me. Some years later, I come to faith in Jesus. And my life is changed forever. You need a miracle. Here I am. Still here today. I could have died a few years ago when I was on a motorcycle coming back from Charleston, South Carolina from changing oil because I didn't know how to do it myself. Coming back whenever all that construction was happening, the person in front of me come to a complete stop unexpectedly. I had nowhere to go. So I go, I tried it because I tried to stop and my motorcycle started doing like this and I wasn't going to stop. And I had two choices. Hit that guy and probably die. Try to go around and maybe live. I, when, I tried to go around. And whenever I got around, I met a police officer who was making a U-turn. I hit him head on, going 50 miles an hour. I destroyed this leg. But I am still here. The only scratch on me was my leg. And yes, I still use it today. I still got a broke leg when I hobble around. (laughs) I'm going to use it until I die. (laughs) But you need a miracle. My friends, you're looking at one. Multiple times. But I think you can look at each other. If you've crossed over the the line of faith, you're looking at a miracle in the mirror. I just want to remind you of that. So whenever you feel like you're all alone, I want you to remember you've seen miracles of God happen before your very eyes. You may be looking in in the mirror, looking at a miracle. And so you can have the faith of Elijah 
where you can stand strong against no matter what the world says, no matter what they throw at you. It doesn't make a difference. And if He can do that, if He can save our souls, if He can save us from damnation and hell, if He can do that, (laughs) then helping you and me stand for Him in truth, in righteousness, man, that's just child's play. That is no problem for Him. So when Elijah set out this little rules, God's like, I got you. I got you. Oh, oh, this is like child's play, but it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be awesome. Wow. Yeah, he can do it. He can do it. God is faithful, man. Remember that. God is so faithful. Elijah stepped forward on a dark stage. Man, we got a dark stage in front of us in our world today. And Elijah stepped right up into that on a dark stage and threw the spotlight on God and said, my God can you know what? We can step into this dark world. We can step right on outside, outside these doors and be like, you know what? I may not be able to do all this, but my God can. (laughs) And I just want to be an instrument of him. And I, I know he's faithful. So whenever I go and I proclaim that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and that he can save people's souls, I can't do that, but he sure can. And I'm standing strong out there. And you can throw stuff at me all day. Throw tomatoes at me. Throw rocks at me. I don't give two hoots and a holler. Because if you kill me, I'm going to heaven. Because God saved my soul. And he can save yours too. (laughs) When you and I decide that we will exercise our faith in God and take our stand, we will see God come through. Because he's faithful. He's faithful. But it goes on. He says, when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Yeah, remember what their first response was when they were confronted? Silence. Their response this time, way different, right? Way different. They fell face down. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Seize them all. Get them. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them all. Killed them all there. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because the people are fickle. They're willing to follow anything. So if you leave one, they may rise up again. Elijah's not taking any chances. They all got to go. They all got to go because we're going to worship the one true God and these people aren't going to stop us from that. So he killed them all there. So the decision, they said that they would follow and honor the God who answered by fire, did they? Yes. Yes, they did. They fell face first, right? And worshiped and said, God of, he is the God of Israel. He is our God. The question is, will you? Will you, will you follow him? Will you decide today that no matter what, he is our God and I will follow him to the ends of the earth. I will do whatever he tells me to do. (laughs) When you make that decision and meet the Lord, you're changed. And I don't mean, I don't mean, I do not mean And when you follow some religious formula, you know, I said a prayer. 
I got baptized. But it wasn't right here. I mean when it's right here. When you really decide, God is my God. And I'm going to follow him no matter what. He may tell me to do some crazy things, but I'm going to do it. Because I believe when you really do that, (laughs) when you really do that, uh uh-oh, meeting God will change you forever. You will change forever. You will be different, and the Lord will bless the difference. When we come to the place where we are willing to separate ourselves from all the other gods that compete for our attention and yield to the God of heaven, then we will find ourselves drawn to Him in true heart worship. We will follow Him. Does this decision describe you? Have you really done that? Like, really? Not some formula. Formulas don't work. Have you really made that decision in your heart? Does that decision describe our church? Are we people of action, not just talk? (laughs) Talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. Does that kind of a decision describe our church? I hope so. I hope so. I think for the most part, yes, but I think for some, no. Will you decide today? The fork is there for you to decide. You have to make a decision. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Let me pray, and then we got something else to do. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this story. Thank you for the faith of Elijah. Thank you that you give us faith. And God, I just pray that when we come to the fork in the road, like today, Lord, that you, we come to worship you. We make a real decision that we're going to follow you to the ends of the earth And we will do as you say. And the reason is because you said so. Lord, for those of us who are struggling with that path, Lord, help us to see the light today. Help us to see the true light of God. And help us to follow that way. Lord, for it's in your name I pray. Amen.